0: Hey, everyone. Today, we are wrapping up our little series on COVID. Episodes 17 and 18 were on Evangel Presbytery's statement about sphere authority, and episodes 19 and 20, this one and the last one, are about the recently released statement titled, Conscience and COVID-19 Vaccine Mandates. The statement was adopted by Evangel Presbytery just a couple weeks ago at their fall Presbytery meeting, and you can find it in the documents section of the Evangel Presbytery website at evangelpresbytery.com. Thanks very much for joining us. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today is with Tim Bailey, Max Carell, and Joseph Bailey. This is the Out of Our Minds podcast. Now we talked about science and the civil magistrate a little a little bit already. And then the next section after that is the magistrate's burden of judgment concerning COVID. Now it was interesting. I remember one of the debates we had as we prepared this statement was do we actually need to make a judgment about this present situation? Do we actually need to make a judgment about whether or not with COVID in particular the government has overstepped its authority with the requirement to be vaccinated
1: since we're talking about spheres of authority
0: mm-hmm.
1: you run into you run into questions of immediately of where spheres overlap mm. and some of the other statements that are out there fail severely in this point uh, because they deny the civil magistrate any ability to speak with authority on health issues. Mm. And that is not something that anybody in on our committee agreed with.
0: That was justified. Yeah.
1: Yeah. we, We know that the civil magistrate has the right to reach into the family in order to save children from death. And that's regardless of whether there's consent on the part of the child or the child's parents more particularly. Mm. And so that's a, that's a place where we understand that to speak unilaterally and universally that the government has no right is to teach people pure rebellion.
2: Hmm.
1: It's to teach people my body, my choice. Hmm. Period. And because that's not true, well, in and, and abortion, I, for I mean, example.
0: Well, of course, for anyone who doesn't re- already realize, "My body, my choice" is the call of those who support uh, abortion on demand right. at all times. Yeah.
1: So, so take the so take the example of abortion, for example, and there is no excuse for saying that the government has no right to require certain medical care for people.
0: Mm. In other words, the government has the right to do those things is what you're saying.
1: Not only has the right, but has the duty, Mm. not only the right, but the duty because it is the government's role and, and, and purpose from God to protect life. Mm. As it punishes wicked and and rewards the good, and so, when you have our committee come together, we all, in spite of the fact that we were we some of us were on really opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of thoughts and attitudes, even towards the civil magistrate and some of the decisions. And nevertheless, everybody on the committee agreed that clearly the government does have the right to, mandate vaccines in some circumstances
2: Mm.
1: and that's actually why we had to make a judgment because once you admit that the lines between the spheres are not so clear as some people want them to be for the sake of the benefit of their own position right now Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. once you once you get that far then you realize okay so sometimes the government does have the right to speak to these things and to mandate even health care, right? And other times that's beyond the pale of what is allowable on the part of the government. And if we're going to be helpful, we have to be willing to say our judgment Mm. about this particular case. Is this particular mandate on the part of the government beyond the pale? Is it exceeding their authority and therefore doing harm. Uh, how far, if it is, how far is it, and therefore, what can or must the Christian do in response? Because depending on how far or how how wicked or how good a government action is, there's different things that come into play on the part of the individual and. Mm how a Christian should respond. Mm -hmm. So we know that Jesus, for example, said he forces you to go one mile, go, go two miles with him.
0: Hmm. And, and, and and, talking about a soldier in particular,
1: talking about a soldier requiring you to help carry his supplies and his equipment for him Mm -hmm. for a mile, Mm -hmm. which, uh, I believe at that time, Roman law legally allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, But surely, to the to the Jew at that time, whom you know the, the Romans were the oppressors mm-hmm. over, and who were taxing them, and who you know we have we have no sympathy for how they would have viewed the Romans as far worse than the American government in spite of everything that we just got done talking about the problems
2: mm-hmm. in
1: the United States today right the Romans no question about it were were far more overboard in their abuse of their authority at that time
2: mm-hmm.
1: and yet Jesus Jesus gives a very strange response for Christians go 2 miles
2: Mm -hmm. Well,
1: on the flip side, Peter and John say, judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey you or God. But as for us, you know, we have to keep preaching. Mm -hmm. So depending on what the overstepping of authority is, you may or may not need to obey, need to disobey. There's still a lot up in the air, even when when you make the judgment, of course. Once we realized, oh, yes, this is one of those places where the government does have the right in extreme circumstances to speak with mandates. Yep. Yep. Okay. Then we have to evaluate and say, is this an extreme enough case for the government to be justified in speaking with a mandate?
0: So in, from the statement specifically, it says, moreover, making such a judgment requires the magistrate to weigh carefully three matters. One, the risks posed by COVID. Two, the potential benefits of COVID countermeasures. And three, any potential harm, particularly restrictions in liberty that might attend those countermeasures. So the statement sets up that it is the duty of the magistrate to, to weigh those things carefully. Now, You know, I think most people reading that is is going to they're going to say, yeah, that's right. You know, they do need to weigh those things carefully, and yeah, these lockdowns and whatever have been really long and difficult, and they haven't, you know, properly taken into consideration this, that, and the other thing. But my next question, though, is what what gives us the right to make a judgment on these things? Has the
3: the answer to that is that. It is precisely the other spheres of authority that should judge spheres of authority. Mm. And what people don't realize is when we decided at the beginning of COVID that as a session, as a board of elders and pastors, that we were going to not simply defer to what every individual in the church wanted, but that we were going to say, look, this is what we're going to do here. This is what we're going to do there. We're not talking about the homes. We're talking about our worship.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
3: We knew that if we just simply threw our hands up and said, let's have each man do that, which is right in his own eyes, it would be absolute bedlam.
0: Regarding masks in particular.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we had a policy. and. We even decided that we were not going to be the police enforcers of our policy, that Mm -hmm. we would submit to the policy of the civil magistrate by calling people to wear masks. But if people didn't wear them, that we were not going to discipline them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people say, well, that's inconsistent. And I say, my goodness. Do you have any idea how inconsistent you are as a mother Probably in the treatment not. of your children? <laughs> I not. mean, we always have the ability when it gets on a local level, level subsidiarity, to match the rules to the person. Mm-hmm. And there are some people in our church that are just cantankerous, Yeah, you know, and you don't want to force them to make a decision on whether or not they're going to be united with the body of Christ based on whether or not they, the two of them, wear a mask that day. You know, in other words, and people say, well, you have to be consistent. And I say, you know something, I think you're a Baptist. (laughs) Now I'm, I'm being very serious here. Okay. Because I think that a lot of what's going on is that there is sort of a Baptist temperament and uh, approach that characterizes the entire conservative church in America, because it goes very well with the American temperament. And that is don't tread on me.
2: Yeah.
3: And so, really, we don't believe in three spheres of authority. We believe in one sphere of authority, and that's the home. And really, we don't even believe in the home being a sphere of authority. We just believe in every man doing that, which is right in his own eyes. And if you happen to be the father of a home, you're going to be able to carry that home because there's only three of you or four, or in some cases, 12. Mm -hmm. And so, coming back to the issue of why we would go ahead and make judgments about the civil authority and public health officers at this point. Right. The reason is that we do believe that if there is a case of a foreign power invading America, not through a gun, but a germ, mm-hmm. okay, biological warfare, that it is actually the government's job to protect us from invasion. Mm-hmm. All right. And that if that invasion is profoundly lethal, Mm -hmm. okay, it doesn't matter whether it's a germ or a bomb, it's the government's job to protect the populace. And so all of us on the committee, all of us agreed that there are some circumstances where a vaccine should be mandated because of the civil authorities' requirement of protecting people from violating the Sixth Commandment by their independence, their vulnerability, whatever you want to call it, their Mm. my body, myself, that there are times to violate my body, myself, our individual responsibility. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, why on this do we feel differently? And that is because when you read historically the arguments about vaccines, for instance, Abraham Kuyper. Uh, the great Dutch uh, statesman, churchman, and you read them talking about the degree to which vaccination is personal, physical, personal. Yeah. Then you realize that you better be very careful in what you say should and shouldn't be done. And the church is in a good position to be concerned about individuals in a way that the state has to be sort of blunt. Instrument, you know, Mm -hmm. and so we felt that was a good place for us to speak to the civil authority about our judgment because our judgment was that they should not do it.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, another answer I think to my question is that we believe that spheres overlap, and so it is absolutely the civil government's responsibility to protect individuals, but it's also mom and dad's responsibility to protect Mm -hmm. their children, and so. Where there is overlap, both,
3: there's a, in kind both of a, ways, yeah.
0: there's a tension there, and we have to be willing to live in that tension, and so it's appropriate for us to, to speak to this. But
3: I think it would be fair to say our committee didn't want to do this section. I think that is. We, we, I mean, we thought
0: long and hard about whether we were going to actually make a judgment about it. So
3: It was hard. Yeah. It was
0: a difficult discussion. Okay. So in the magistrate's burden of judgment concerning COVID, we do make a judgment that it is not appropriate at this time for the civil government to require vaccines. The lethality of the, of the disease is not anywhere near the need for it. And nobody, as far as I understand, believes that you can wipe out COVID. There's no scientist that
3: thinks Well, that. Australia had that as a goal for a while. The, it well, has I, been an ongoing debate.
0: Uh, so I suppose it's part of the debate, but I, I don't know. It seems But like- but
3: it's important that people listening understand the reason for the draconian measures in Australia mm-hmm. is that they had a different goal. Their goal was not flattening the curve in containment. Yep. Their yep. goal was to wipe it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm-hmm. which it's, it's kind of the way that an island continent would approach something. no seriously okay and so when people get all frantic about australia let's understand that they used to have a goal of completely eviscerating uh the 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 continent of COVID. Mm -hmm. and so yeah they were much more draconian because they had a different goal yeah they had a
0: different goal and it's our judgment that it's the goal is neither achievable nor desirable given the costs Okay, so the next section of this uh, document is titled An Appeal for Reasoned and Prudent Judgments. And it is an appeal
3: first to the civil authority. In the process of our committee, at a particular point, there was a discussion of the degree to which inappropriate um, actions by authorities undercut the authority yeah, and harm it. And Joseph, Pastor Joseph Spurgeon talked about what the standards have to say about this and that one of the things that you have to be very careful of is not undercutting authority by the abuse of your authority. I think that many people will read this statement and think,
0: you guys are appealing to the civil magistrate. It just seems like naive and foolish.
3: Well, the Magdeburg was naive and foolish. There was an army outside (laughs) and they wrote words. I mean, how stupid can they be?
0: Well, the thing that I keep coming back to as I read the rhetoric of the agitators is like, what, you want me to get my gun? Like, oh, is, that, is that really I is know. that really where we're at right now? Is that where, what we're doing? Um, well,
3: and that's why one of their main guys wrote one of their main books. And I mean, he... In a sermon recently he just says, I'll put a gun in you, I'll put well, yeah, that's I'll right. put yeah. holes in your for I'll shoot you if you come at me with and he actually says this in his sermon right. and more volatilely, if that's a word, than I just did it. Yeah. I mean he's full like full of emotion. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's like clear. out of he's control. About it. And I just <laughs> say, Hey, you know, if you guys are all about Johnny get his gun, then Johnny, get your gun. But of yeah. course they won't. And then I say, okay, so you really don't want a revolution, right? I mean, you know, you, you talk like you have, you, you smell like you want one, you look like you want one, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but you don't actually okay, so then what do you want? Do you want to run for office? Mm. In other words, if the problem's the civil magistrate and you're the solution to the problem, <laughs> either lead a revolution or run for office, mm. but don't just foment rebellion.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what it comes back down to, um, is just the fomenting of rebellion.
4: I was wondering if, thinking about why it's all the fomenting of rebellion, and I was thinking, Joseph, was it you that was saying that we're a nation of autocrats? Is that how you said it?
3: What Joseph said was, it's all voluntarism, the libertarian rebellion of the conservative reform world.
4: It's, they're all voluntarists. Yes, and so everybody is his own little God. And I just, I wonder about whether people, a nation of autocrats has any sense of anyone having responsibility for themselves. The only people that we think of as being responsible are the people outside of us who fail. Well, but that's that is the western world yes, today. Yes. And so the, everything else is everything is everyone else's is fault, my fault and nothing is my fault. And so there's no way for them to have any sympathy for anyone to have authority because they have no sense of responsibility for themselves. And so responsibility is always somebody else's thing. Hmm. They're responsible. My soccer coach, my president, my county health official, they're all the ones that are doing it wrong. Hmm. But but they can't neither can they have any sympathy for them. They can't enter into their world at all. And so they, I
3: think this section of the statement is the one that would be most incomprehensible to the schismatics in the reformed world, because they just see us as being clueless. They would just say, Are right. you serious? You guys are idiots. You think they're gonna listen to you? Right. And I would say, Listen, even if none of them will listen to us we have an obligation to say this so that the sheep will see us saying this to the civil magistrate because that cultivates submission to authority mm-hmm. and respect for authority, which is what the Bible commands. Mm-hmm. And I want to say something about the schismatics. I'm not stupid. None of us are stupid. We understand what's going on. You read Herb Schlossberg's Idols Disgu- for Destruction, and you see him build this case about the, the, the construction of the modern nation state.
0: I'm reading the Gulag Archipelago right now. (laughs) Okay,
3: and the fact that at the heart of what's going on in terms of governance today is a building and a trading on resentment in in French. Uh, And all of us recognize this with BLM. Oh, yeah. We all understand that there's a whole power movement based upon- Grievances. uh, Grievances and- You know, claiming that a certain people group has been done wrong. Mm -hmm. This is precisely what the agitators are doing with conservative reform Christians. They are trading on the resentment and anger Mm -hmm. of a movement of a minority, of not just a minority, a micro minority. (laughs) I mean, BLM is massive compared to the number of people that these people are building their base on conservative reform. People make up maybe at right, most one third of 1% of the United States of America.
2: Right, 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 right. I mean, we
3: think we're important when you have people building a movement based on the resentment mm-hmm. of the sheep. Mm-hmm. It is not a good look.
1: You're going to have resentful people resentful yeah. towards any authority that ever tells them that they should or shouldn't do something. Mm
0: hmm. So this this section of the statement is so critical and I think it's so easy for people to miss because on the one hand you could say that this section of the statement is us simply saying you should do as your conscience demands. And how is that any different than what the agitators or the schismatics say? Isn't that exactly what this I mean their conscience demands that they not wear a mask and not get a vaccine and isn't that exactly Exactly what the statement says.
3: From the very beginning of COVID, what we have said, it is not the place of people who think they're smart and have the pastoral or elder office Mm -hmm. to tell other churches, pastors, and elders what to do. Okay? It is not our place to declare for other churches what is right and what is wrong in connection with COVID and submission to regulations. Every every session has the obligation of leading its church, and we are not to attack those sessions. Now, now the reason I bring that up is I want to say in this section, Mm
2: -hmm. it
3: is not our place as pastors to tell fathers and fathers and mothers what they should do themselves and their children. In other words— in the same way as it is not the place of pastors to invade another church yep. by rhetoric. Yep. So it is not the place of churches and pastors to invade a home and tell them they must not wear a mask or have the vaccination. We are not to put consciences like that under constraints and and claim that we speak for God. Throughout this
0: time in the life of our nation and our churches, people have had to struggle over their consciences and, and whether they can, in good faith, submit to this or that, whether it's masks or COVID vaccines. And scripture says, whatever is not of faith is sin. And so you cannot take that statement that whatever is not of faith is of sin and turn it into a kind of false liberty where every man just does what is right in his own eyes. And yet that's how we as Americans and as American Christians see it. There's simply no more righteous cause than a man proclaiming that he's doing x y or z because his conscience demands it. Is it really
4: conscience? Who who's arguing on the point of conscience? I mean,
1: well, it, it, uh, you know, everybody is that yeah, but knows that that word that that word gives them a complete freedom to do whatever they want it's the reformed version of saying well i prayed about it Mm. and i think god is leading me to do and then they can say then they can just say anything after that i
4: totally agree with you but we haven't i don't know that we've yet debunked that i mean it isn't debunking that so essential to this whole argument that we actually get people to see themselves and say that's just a a pile of crap. There's not a issue well, of your. So conscience. how do you debunk
0: yeah. it? If if some woman or some man comes to you in, in at the church and says, "You know, I really prayed about
4: um, masks." Nobody ever says they prayed about masks. What they say, they never even lead with that. It, to me, well, it's the, the, always the example, in, It's always immediately the government is doing. The government is doing. The government is doing. Mm. And so that's why I asked the question about conscience, because I, th- I, I agree that that's the argument that people are making. And so when it comes down to it and you want some exemption from getting the vaccine from your company, you're going to bring a, rec- a, a, a statement in or a paper saying that you have a conscience issue with it. Mm-hmm. But it, nobody ever has arguing me with me about conscience issues when I'm talking to them. I don't know of anybody that's really dealing with it as a conscience issue like God like like the uh Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. They don't do blood transfusions. And when they bring blood transfusions, that for them is a matter of conscience. They have some kind of belief about it, and so that's their thing, right? Yeah. We all recognize that. They lead with it, though. They just say, look, we don't believe, in." we can disagree with how they come to the decision that this is a conscience issue, but we do recognize that they're actually making the decision not based on their desire to not have the man you know cram blood transfusions down their throat Mm -hmm. they're coming at it from some other place of weakness or fear or whatever and they come to it that way we're not dealing with people in this in this question that way this the things kind of, I've
0: heard is that the vaccine might harm them,
4: but that's not conscience. Would that's say, not a point of conscience. I mean, I've, I've
0: made that argument as well, Max. But they could say that it's my responsibility not to put something into my body that harms me as a Christian. That is part of the Westminster,
4: and that is that is something that they could say. Well, okay, that's. But it's still not a point of of conscience. It's a point of them looking at it and saying, "I don't believe. I think this is going to hurt me," and therefore, but how is that not a point of conscience? Well, because they're not looking at it and saying, I'm going to actually sin sin in the doing of it. Because but they, they don't... That's what they're, that's what they're claiming. Okay, let's, okay let's now hold on, that hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, I now want
3: to read it. something. Every person, is Romans 13, is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority is opposed to the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed, will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Now, at this point, I know I've lost everybody. There's not an American alive. Whoever wants to hear Romans 13, except about being a father and a husband. All right. But now listen to the next verse, verse five. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath,
4: but for conscience sake.
3: <laughs> How is it that conscience always requires us to rebel? Yeah. How is it that conscience never requires us to submit? Mm. Don't you think that if he's saying for conscience sake, he's talking about a place where you think the civil authority's wrong? You don't have to exhort somebody to submit to an authority that they think is right. It's like Elizabeth Elliot said, submission begins when you think the authority is wrong. Mm. Well, the apostle Paul here, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, you submit to authorities you think are wrong for the sake of your conscience. In other words, you are living under your conscience when you submit, when you think the authority is wrong. Mm. Why is that never said by these people? Why do they never, ever, ever say anything other than 28 or 38 or 58 or a Googleplex of reasons why Romans 13 doesn't apply here? Why does conscience never call us to submit to authority, but only to reject authority? I mean, honestly, why? Because the conscience has become, in the reform world, the handmaid of rebellion. I I think so. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's it's the shibboleth. It, what's uh, I'm sorry, the, shibboleth. Well, the shibboleth. Yeah, yeah, it's the shibboleth yeah. that you can trot out and
4: do whatever you want. And I just don't think people realize they're they're just at the very basic level. They don't realize they don't read like you said. They don't ever read that. They don't hear that. They don't want to hear that. I was just thinking and looking at the passage where the Pharisees and the Herodians come to Jesus and they say, "Should we pay the tax to, to Caesar? The whole tax to Caesar, or shouldn't we?" And the Herodians were in favor of it, and the Pharisees were against it, and they were coming together because both of them wanted Jesus to shut up.
3: you know what i'm saying yeah i
4: think i do and and so it's like that what they wanted was to stifle to stop his getting disciples Mm -hmm. and they wanted their people to keep following them and keep under their control joe bailey
3: wrote a satire against evangelical leaders called the gospel blimp it's a movie it's a great book and it's a satire that exposes the hypocrisies of christian celebrities Right after he wrote it, we moved to Wheaton. Now, we didn't live right in Wheaton, but we did go to church in Wheaton. And we went to a church that required, as a condition of membership, that you sign a pledge saying that you would not dance, you would not go to movies, you would not drink alcohol, you would not be a member of Secret Society. There were probably a couple of other things. Mm. The circus, maybe. And when we moved there... Everybody who was a member there, and this was the president of Wheaton College, Hudson Armiting, this was the vice president Moody, this was the head of the Evangelical Alliance mission, this was the professor of Greek, Clarence Hale at Wheaton, this was Ray Knighton, Ken Taylor, all the leaders of the evangelical organizations, missions, schools, everything. There was a class that had them all in it, and it was called Covenant Class. And they asked my father to be one of the two teachers. The other teacher was Ken Hansen, who was CEO of Service Master, if you've heard of that. Ken was a member, but my father wasn't. But they asked my father to teach 50% of the time, hmm. all these people. And so they respected my father. They kind of respected him and hated him. <laughs> they loved him and hated him. They kind of, you know, it was it was weird, but they loved him. Mm -hmm. And so my father taught there and after a number of years of not being able to be a member, he wrote a letter to the elders and asked if they wouldn't allow him to take a conscience exception to their pledge and join. Now in our home, we didn't have any alcohol and in our home, we were one of the few homes in the church that had no television. Mm -hmm. But he said, I'm not going to pledge that I won't go to a movie and I'm not going to pledge that I won't drink when we go out and Christmas carol, there was a Catholic Polish family in our neighborhood that would invite us in for a hot toddy, and my dad would go in and, and join the man and drinking a hot toddy on a cold December night, okay? My father had received a letter back from the Board of Elders in which the Board of Elders said to him that uh, they would not let him join, mm. that they could not let him join if he would not sign the pledge. I have a copy of that letter and then I have a copy of a letter from my dad back to them saying you realize that Jesus would not be able to be a member of College Church in Wheaton. Now think about that. And so for probably 30 years my father taught the main Sunday school class of the main evangelical leadership of the community of Wheaton and its A-Day. Hmm. Think about this. Mm-hmm. But they would not let him join their church. One night... No, one morning, they had a shortage of elders to serve communion. And they came down the aisle and asked my dad to come up and serve communion. Hmm. (laughs) Think about this. But they would not let him join. Okay? My father had a conscience issue. Mm -hmm. I've often thought about that and wondered if I had been the pastor, whether I would have allowed him to take communion. Because I believe that no man who rejects the authority of a church should be allowed to take communion. Mm -hmm. I believe that it is the prerogative of elders to serve communion, not the prerogative of individuals to serve themselves. Yeah. Okay? But he didn't reject the authority of the elders. He was not belligerent. He did not call people to leave college church in Wheaton. He didn't go around attacking the eldership for their hypocrisy. And yes, I think it was absolutely hypocrisy because we noted the kinds of things they'd watch on their television, Mm -hmm. which were much worse than any movie that we ever went to once every two years, you know, the sound of music, (laughs) you know. And so I grew up watching a father who had a very tender conscience and who was very sensitive to God's authority and to the authority God had given the Board of Elders, and yet didn't simply go along, and yet was not an agitator and was not a belligerator at places where Scripture was clear. I mean, you know, Jesus turning water into wine, people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember him saying about Nixon, as I said earlier, he said that the people who were rebels in the late 60s, were the ones who were most susceptible to giving in to a dictatorial government and to totalitarianism because they had not exercised their conscientious mus- muscles, you know, that they were either submissive or rebellious. And he said, really, submission and rebellion are two sides of the same coin. That to acquiesce on authority and to blindly submit is actually very, very close to simply categorically rejecting authority. Hmm. And it's the judicious man who looks and makes judgments and looks and makes judgments and is capable of seeing the hypocrisies of the civil authority in defending life by having mass while they kill, you know, over a million of our babies every year by their laws, their refusal to defend them, let alone euthanasia and infanticide. I will encourage everybody listening that finally a pastor came along named Kent Hughes. And Kent worked hard, and it took years, but he finally, before dad died, he was able to become a member of college church.
1: I think it's a noteworthy story. And very applicable. And I think that immediately some people are going to say, so how come you don't extend the same charity to other people about their conscience issues, for example, masks? So it's easy to see a similarity between a conscience issue on the part of Joe Bailey back in the 50s and 60s where all kinds of churches had additional requirements for membership uh, that were similar to this. Right. And we would say those requirements were wrong. And then to turn around and say, so how come you're doing the same thing now with a new thing, masks,
2: Mm -hmm. you're
1: just going back to the same legalism of the fifties and sixties and the fundamentalist church. And you're, you're being so hypocritical, right? But we've got, to, we've, got to exact, we've got to look at exactly where the similarities and differences are. And there's a major difference between saying, in order to become a member of this church, you have to sign a statement vowing that you will never wear a mask or you will always wear a mask. Anytime you go into such any any you know public space, versus saying we're going to put a sign on the doors of our church saying please wear a mask when you enter,
3: because the civil authority has required it.
1: Because the civil authority has required it, and if you can't note the difference. Between saying everyone in order to become a member must vow and sign this versus we've made a rule for our building on the basis of the civil magistrate. Then, of course, you can't see the difference between saying putting a sign on the door saying, please wear a mask and being willing to communicate people who disobey the sign on the door
3: or even remove them from worship
1: <laughs> or remove them from worship yeah as if those things are a given and obvious well yeah if you can't tell the difference between signing a statement vowing that you'll never do something versus putting a in order to become a member versus putting a sign on the door well yeah then we can understand how you could not Not understand the difference between excommunicating somebody or kicking them out of worship versus simply saying, We see no reason why we shouldn't submit to the civil magistrate's authority in this.
3: Or Joseph saying, We see lots of reasons we shouldn't submit to the civil magistrate, but when the elders got done arguing, we made this decision, and so we're all going to live by it, whether or not we agree with it.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. come
3: on. I keep saying, These people continue to revert to just the hostility to authority that I think has always been a part of the Baptist mentality. And I'm I'm specifically saying Baptist because Baptists have an expectation of church life and of the relationship between the Christian and the state and an expectation of the state's authority that I think is perfectionistic. I think it's like having an elders board filled with engineers. And it's like... Life is not as simple as we would like to think it is, and perfection is not as attainable. And leaders are going to be failures. And if our understanding of authority is such that we never submit to authorities when they're failing, and when we disagree with them and think they're failing— It's ridiculous. God, that's why I quote Calvin so constantly saying God could have sent angels to be our pastors and preach to us, but he didn't. He sent inferiors, and he actually uses that word. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's good for you to have inferiors preaching to you because that teaches you humility, that you have to feed out of the mouth of an inferior to you. If we believe that our
0: conscience, as we call it, is somehow absolute, then We are no different than every man doing what is right in his own eyes. And
3: And that's because every conscience is its own snowflake. Mm -hmm. In other words, even our conscience, if you and I were to try to line up our consciences, I mean,
0: we would differ
3: at so many points.
0: It would be hard to find two reformed men that could sit down together and just be identical in their conscience.
3: And that's why each man does that which is right in his own eyes. Right. Or you might be able to get a pool of a thousand of them that think that this man's conscience is right. Mm -hmm. And so he writes and does conferences and stuff and he has a thousand people or maybe even 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. But I mean, to create the unity of the body of Christ Mm -hmm. on the basis of one man's particular take on masks, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: it's a fool's errand.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: I'm not saying there's no fool that won't give himself to that errand. And I want to go back and say that when we say that we think the civil authority should be obeyed in this church, so hear a mass if you don't have one, mm-hmm. that's not for us as Joseph was saying. Can we have some distinctions or do we just need to agitate? The distinction is we're not saying we think the civil authority is right. Can I just say we're not saying that they're God? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, But I
3: guess you could say that we are saying that it is not idolatry to use mass. Yeah, that's precisely what we're saying. If I'm going to make an appeal
0: to the type of people that would be listening to this podcast, to reformed men and women who believe in the authority of fathers in the home, uh, I think that Tim's statement earlier is very good for us to remember. We would never tolerate this Kind of reaction to the civil government to the to another sphere of authority uh, in the home we believe in fathers ruling the home, and that means that those who he is trying to lead have to submit themselves and their consciences for conscience sake, as it says in Romans <laughs> 13 to to his leadership and I think a central part of this you know as I've been listening to the gulag archipelago. I've had the impression that a lot of times history is kind of like a wave and we we as Americans think we're very special and that we are like, we're all Martin Luther. Here I stand, I can do no other. And we're all going to save Africa from AIDS. We're all going to do this and that and the other thing. And so we just think very, very highly Mm -hmm. of ourselves. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that uh, history is kind of like a wave and the most you can do is like ride it. We're yeah, we all see that we're headed into the darkness. Yeah, it's like, we're not blind to that. Do I want to be a slave? No, I don't want to be a slave. I don't want my children to be a slave. But does anybody doubt that the United States of America as a people is headed into slavery? I don't doubt that.
3: We're already in it. We're We're already incapable of thinking biblically because our language has been changed. That's right. It has been censored.
0: That's right. And so what I'm convinced of is that what is at the heart of this is that we think we're Americans and we have command of our own destiny. And the truth is, we don't. We don't. And this is, COVID is God's judgment on us, not just the disease itself, but uh, if you want to say, talk about the, the various kinds of government overreach, I think that in and of itself is a judgment of God. And so our response has to be, to humble ourselves, and to do the very thing that is seems so counterintuitive to us. I mean, it's incredible that Romans 13 exists. Like, can we just say that? It's incredible that it exists because you're talking about a man who spent his life being beaten by every authority and kicked around by every authority that he ever faced.
3: And the authority he was writing about was Nero, the emperor of Rome.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. Like, if you don't know who Nero was, look it up. You know, he was not friendly to Christians. And yet he had by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the faith to write, submit to authority uh, for conscience sake. And so again, my point is it's very counterintuitive that you are going to conquer by submission. But I think that's exactly what Paul says to wives submitting to their husbands. By your quiet godliness, you will win your husband.
3: And the truth is everybody reading him say, submit to those above you. God has put them over you. We're fully aware of his years in prison in Rome. Mm-hmm. Of all the ways that he had fomented rebellion, supposedly, mm-hmm. great is Artemis of the <laughs> Ephesians. You know, <laughs> they thought that he was attacking the civil authority, the yeah. civil, uh, you know, the the ability of merchants and craftsmen to make their living through idols. And so the Apostle Paul wrote that, knowing that he had a history of being accused of doing the very opposite of that chapter. Mm. He trusted that the Holy Spirit would awaken in the readers and the listeners to the book, to the Roman church, okay? And would know when to apply it Mm. and when it didn't apply. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't trying to just trash Romans 13 because it went against his meta-narrative, you know? You could make the case that Paul's meta-narrative was civil disobedience. could. And yet he does it with such respect if you listen to him engaging with. You know, the military leader's trying to protect him from the mob. Mm -hmm. He's so respectful. Oh, I wish that I could convince you. Mm -hmm. A little while, Paul, you might have me. Oh, I would love to convince you. Mm -hmm. There is nothing of this judicious, self-controlled, respectful spirit in the people that are fomenting your rebellion, dear listener. Nothing. There is no commonality. There is no same appearance. It does not resemble what's going on among conservative reform rabble-rousers today. They are not interested in being judicials. They are interested in getting you to be one of their disciples. We are not doing that. Mm -hmm. We are not telling you to judge your pastors and elders on the basis of their mask policy. They are telling you to leave your church on the basis of your leaders. We are not telling you to leave their churches if that's how they're leading you. We are saying they're wrong. We don't want you to come to our church because they're wrong spreading schism. Mm -hmm. We want to rebuke them as Paul rebuked Peter. Let's make it very clear this podcast is not divisive. It's healing and it's peaceful and it's uniting. Stop telling people to leave their churches. Stop binding men's consciences. Stop declaring that God has made you the one to tell every other authority in churches around the country and the civil magistrate to boot mm-hmm. that they must not do what they're doing, say what they're saying, and that people should leave their churches and come to your church. That is the schismatic. That is the divisive man. That is the man who does not have God's approval. Hmm. Well, guys, I think it's time to wrap up here,
0: but uh, Max wanted to read something from Matthew 23.
4: Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, and do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, and they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. And they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. And so that text tells us that we know
3: that they're hypocrites. Jesus is saying they're hypocrites. Jesus has delegitimated their authority personally. But as he does that, he says, for conscience sake, do what they tell you to do. Submit to them. Mm. It could not be clear, the juxtaposition, the contradiction between what Jesus exposes about their character and hypocrisy. And Jesus precisely at the same time saying, nevertheless, what they tell you to do, you do. And that's so important today. That's right. Because we think that if we have a hypocrite as a leader, that that gives us an olly olly and free to Mm. reject his authority, both categorically and specifically. And Jesus says, submit to them, Mm -hmm. but note their character and do not copy them.
0: I hope and pray that COVID-19 will become a thing of the past. Now, I know it's impossible at this point to completely eradicate the disease, but I do hope that the prevalence of the disease diminishes to the point that it's no longer on the front page of our nation's newspapers every day. And yet, no matter what happens, COVID has changed our nation forever. But the question for Christians is this, have we learned the lessons that God has for us? Have we grown in godliness and faith and humility as a result of this painful lesson? Next week. Our topic is death. I hope you'll join us. My name is Lucas Weeks, and our conversation today was with Tim Bailey, Max Carell, and Joseph Bailey. Tim, Max, and I serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. Joseph Bailey is a church-planting pastor at Christ Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash outofourminds. Bye for now.